If you're there, say amen. amen. Acts 4, 32 through 37. I'm going to be keying in on 33 through 35, but let's read the whole passage here. Now the multitude, or the full number of those who believed, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that it would go forth. As your word says that it won't return void. I pray that it would bring forth fruit today. Whether to the building up or the tearing down. Whatever it may be. Lord, I, bring, I pray that it, it would bring you praise and glory. And bring forth fruit. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are before the council. We've looked at that. They are away from the council now. This gives us a snapshot of what was going on in the early church. In the early church. It gives us a snapshot. What's going on, how they were living, how they were living among other Christians... What was taking place? And so this is a really, really neat passage of Scripture because we have somewhat of a template for how the church is to live, how the church is to act, how the church is to function among other believers. Among other believers. Now we know that they had the apostles. Uh, I'm not an apostle. I'm a preacher and a teacher of God's word. They had the apostles, and so the, the apostles were in charge, uh, and, and they, were, they, they were taking care of things. But the people had everything in common. They were, they were truly doing the Lord's work. And listen to what it says there in 33. That's where I'm going to start. It says, And with great power, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, were they doing this? Okay, so let me just say this. Today in our society and in our culture, we have very soft-spoken psychology majors in the pulpit, I think. And I think that we have gotten away from the zeal and the fervency and the power that's contained within the scriptures of God. 
We've gotten away from them. And we have given ourselves over a lot of people to counseling. And I call them these because that's what they are. Counseling sermons. Sermonettes. To where people are not offended. Where people are, you know, they want to figure out all of their problems. Why am I having this? Why am I doing that? And then a three-step program on how to fix that. Well, here in the, in the text, it tells us that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They did this with great fervency. They did it with great zeal. They were supercharged. These men, these apostles, the Spirit of God was in them, was on them. They were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ and people were being added to the church and to the number of the church daily. What were they preaching? They were preaching the resurrection. And we know that it's just not the resurrection, but when we say the resurrection, we're talking about the whole of it. We're talking about about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their testimony, ladies and gentlemen, was sure. It was sure. It was a testimony by way of witness. By way of witness. Their testimony was a testimony of experience. Not only of witness, but of experience. First-hand experience. First-hand account. Speaking with Jesus after he rose from the dead. They saw him go in the ground. They saw him there. You know, the tomb was guarded. They, They knew he was there for three days. Dead. Graveyard dead for three days. They knew this. But that there were witnesses of his resurrection. First-hand account, speaking with him, eating with him, sitting under his teaching. They were convinced and they were persuaded and sure of his resurrection. There was no doubt in their mind that, that he rose from the dead and so they went about preaching this doctrine. And this is a mind that is very hard-pressed to change. A mind, a a person that has seen the resurrection, a person that has laid eyes on the risen Savior, a person that has eaten with Him, seen His smile through the scars that was on Him, a person that has been with Him and sat by the coals of fire and ate fish and bread with Him. It would be very hard to convince or persuade that person that what they saw was wrong and not real. A a, A witness in a court of law is a powerful thing, is it not? One witness in a court of law is a powerful thing. One. One witness. One. And the court of law is a powerful thing. It can determine the death of a person or set at liberty those that need to be set at liberty. One witness. 
And here we have multitudes and multitudes and multitudes that spent time with Jesus. 500 at once. Then the apostles. Here in our text, the apostles were so convinced and they were so persuaded that Jesus rose from the dead that they were preaching with great power. Great power. Giving testimonies before thousands of souls. Even when the Sadducees told them not to do it. They were so convinced that they went about preaching the gospel and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what the Sadducees didn't understand, what they couldn't comprehend, is that the apostles were completely sold out. Do we see this? They were completely sold out for the kingdom. They were sold out for the message of the the glory of God. They were sold out for this gospel message. They had nothing to lose. Do you know how hard it is to contain somebody that has nothing to lose? They had nothing to lose. In fact, the very doctrine of the resurrection is, is is what prodded them to go and to preach. Because they knew that if they lost life itself, that they would gain it with Christ and the other. And so the resurrection, when you, when you believe in the resurrection, the loss of one's life is not the end, but rather the beginning of eternal life. So they truly didn't have anything to lose but life itself. And we know that the, that the sting of death has been taken away by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did they have to lose? Nothing. So they went about with power preaching preaching. They knew that if they died, they would be with Christ. So what happened? They preached. They preached hard. They preached a a free pardon from sin, a free pardon from eternal hell and eternal damnation away from the presence of God and away from his power and away from his glory. They preached that they could, that you could come away from that by trusting by faith in Jesus Christ who was buried and who rose again. This is what they preached. This is what turned the world upside down. They had nothing to lose, but had everything to gain, namely Christ. We've been looking at this in Philippians. In Philippians 3 and 7 it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. This is Paul. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Can you imagine the zeal and the fervency that the apostles preached with knowing that to die was gain? You think about that for just a minute. And then understand this. It is no different today. Preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no different today. 
We serve a risen Savior. Do we not? Yes or no? Do we truly believe that He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures? Yes, we do. And so there is power in this knowing that if we pass from this life, we are to be with Him. So why are we so timid about sharing Jesus with someone else? These men were witnesses. But I want to look outside of the witnesses for just a moment. And I want to speak to the skeptic. The skeptic. By the way, y'all are not the only ones hearing this. This is on the internet too. So let me speak to the skeptic. Take, for instance, you don't believe the testimony of the apostles. You say it was a sham, it was a hoax. Didn't happen. Okay? I want you to listen to what Luke 24, 46 says. Jesus is saying this. And he says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. What is he talking about? He is talking about the Old Testament Scriptures. You don't want to believe the witnesses that testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Well, maybe we ought to believe the prophets or the priests of the Old Testament because they give us ample instruction, ample evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself himself quotes, after after the resurrection, he says, Thus it is written. Written where? In the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament? The whole thesis of the Old Testament is about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Written where at? The whole council, the whole Old Testament. Psalm 16, 9 and following. We read it earlier. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure for he will not abandon my soul in Sheol. He will not abandon my soul there. He will not let the Holy One see corruption. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. That he would not let his son stay there in the ground. But he would raise him on the third day from the dead. And this is in Psalms 16. So you don't believe in the witnesses? Maybe we ought to believe in the Old Testament writings. Or maybe we can then put them together and see how they go together. Well, they go perfectly together, don't they? You know, I abandoned my soul to shield, let your Holy One see corruption. You made known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16. Jesus is saying at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We see the life of Christ. We see the death, the resurrection. And we see the ascension in that one psalm. One psalm. One psalm. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12 says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched 
and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. In other words, the Old Testament prophets prophesied by the Spirit of Christ. So if you don't want to believe the the testimony of the apostles, then you have to try to discredit the testimony of the Old Testament prophets. Go ahead and try to discredit that. It, it, It can't be done. John 5 and 39 says, Jesus says that the Old Testament bears witness of him. So here we have not only the apostles bearing witness of the resurrection, not only the Old Testament prophets bearing record of the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus, but we have the Lord himself saying what was going to happen. That although he is dead, he will live. So they were preaching the resurrection with power. With power. The resurrection is not a dead doctrine. There's still power in it. The Apostle Paul concerning the resurrection says this. From the Old Testament says this in 1 Corinthians 15. 3 and 4, concerning the resurrection. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to what? The Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? All of them. All of them that had been written until that moment. All of them, according to the scriptures. So we have the eyewitness account of the resurrection. We also have the prophetic scriptural account of the resurrection. Who could deny such great a salvation? When you lay this out before somebody, who can deny this? That Jesus, in fact, did do this and accomplish this work. So the apostles, they preached... They personally witnessed this with their eyes. The evidence for them was overwhelming. So they preach and they preach hard and they preach hard with great power. And there's a reason why multitudes were saved. There's a reason why they were adding to the church daily. Because they were not preaching of flowers. They were preaching... Because they've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And they're preaching hard everywhere they went with zeal, with fervency. They wanted the world to know that Christ rose from the dead. And they had nothing to lose. They were so convinced, in fact, that they began to start just giving everything up. We're going to give it up for the cause of Christ. We're so convinced that he rose from the dead, we're just going to begin to bring money 
and drop it at the apostles' feet so that people that have need, their needs can be met. Let's move on. Let's look at this. I want you to see what happened in 33. It says, And great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Upon the apostles. But not, not just the apostles. But also the entire church. All the believers. I believe that great grace was upon them in, in, in a variety of different ways. And you can see that in the early church. By the gifts of the Spirit that were, that were just poured out on the early church. You see this great grace on them that had been extended to them. You see also this great grace by way of protection. By way of protection. They were preaching the gospel... And this was a church that was growing over 8,000 people strong. And they were preaching the resurrection when the Sadducees were in power in the temple. Took a little supernatural protection over them, didn't it? Absolutely. And so you see that grace that was extended to them in that infancy where they were in that infancy, in, the, in that, smallest, that smallest form, that when, the, when the church was birthed, that New Testament church was birthed, you see that grace that was given to them through way of protection and, and provision. Also, I think that, that the great grace that's mentioned here, and it, it can really be all of these, not only grace itself, but the great grace mentioned here speaks of the graciousness that each believer had, each one to another. One to another. And as you go through the book of Acts, you see, even in Philippians, we've talked about this as well, you see selflessness, not selfishness, right? It's real easy for us to get in the flesh and get selfish, isn't it? Huh? Let me say that again. Because I think this is where it really, really, really hits home. It's real easy for us to get selfish and not selfless. Self, selfish when we cling to the things of the world instead of letting go. And I think more than anything, this is what Luke is alluding to here in the book of Acts. And the reason why that is is because of what follows. So the truth is set up and then what follows comes right after that to explain what this great grace was. More than anything. There was graciousness to each other. People overlooking each other's faults and failures from the past. This one come from this tribe and this one came from this tribe. This one came from here and this one came from there. This one spoke this and this one spoke that. But they were overlooking these things, coming together. Coming together. Giving to each other as each other had need. And so you see with this great grace that's mentioned here, you see that they were giving 
themselves and everything, everything for the church. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. Let me put my glasses back on. Hold on. There was not a needy person. Let me finish 33. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And then we see this. There was not a needy person among them. Needy. There was not a needy person among them. Where the church has lacked and where the church has failed in modern day America is giving to those that are in need. Christians that have, not giving to those that don't. He gives us so we can give others. Am, am, I, am I saying that right? That's right, right? Now, we have to have our own houses, right? But notice what the text says. There was not a needy person among them. There's all sorts of needy people out here in our, in our society. All sorts of needy people. Everywhere. Why? Why? Has the church grown selfish? Or is the church still selfless? Don't you think about this? Selfish or selfless? This is a big deal. When I first came here, the pastor search committee, they handed me a list of what we believed. They handed me a list of our missionaries and they said, we can't go away from this. I said, praise the Lord. Since then, we've added several more missionaries. We came up with a, with a number the other day that it was about 23 to 24% of what we give to missions. And the reason why is because we're called to give to those that are needy. As a general benevolence, we are called to love others. But we get selfish, don't we? I want that. I want this. Every year at tax return time, people get big checks in. And man, man, that big check comes in and you just, you've already got it spent. You've already got it planned out. People waiting for grandma and granddaddy to die so they can get that big check in. They got it all planned out. Well, if, what if grandma and granddaddy said, you know what, we're going to give 10% to the church and then our children can have the rest? What would the kids say? What if their last act of obedience to the Lord, their last act of giving was saying, we're going to give 10% to the church and my kids are just going to have to deal with it because that's what I'm going to do because that's an increase. And after I'm dead, that's an increase. Would you do it? 
Man, did you just hear a pin drop? Oh my goodness. Have we ever thought about that? I just heard a pin drop in this church. Our last act of obedience, would we not give it to Jesus? A tithe? That hits hard. That hits really hard. Here in our text, they were giving to people that had need. Will we be selfish or selfless? I've thrown out a lot of examples. I think one of the greatest examples of being selfless when it comes to giving or tithing or whatever is is to make sure that the beneficiaries of whoever your inheritance goes to understand that it should be with the acknowledgement is that you're giving to the Lord first. And then you get what's left. You say, well, then I would have to give this, 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 and this. I'm not saying you got to give anything. I'm just saying that the early church, they were selfless. There was needs that needed to be met. And they gave. And they gave until it hurt. Listen to what it says. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Wow. Wow. Now, obviously, they didn't sell the house that they lived in. Or then they would be homeless and then the church would have to take care of them. That's common sense. But those that had been blessed with much, guess what they did? They saw the need that the church in its infant state needed money, needed help, needed, needed the, the, the provisions. And the Lord, they recognized that the Lord had given them those provisions. And so you know what they're going to do? They're going to then give it back. Because they were going to be selfless, not selfish. You see how loving the early church was? I know it got quiet when I started talking about money because it always does. I mean, it never fails. Anytime you mention money, I mean, it's... The love of it is the root of all types of evil. And we know that. But the early church knew something that I think many of us have forgotten. And I, and I, and I say that loosely because I know that 
our church is a giving church, and I just, I praise God that we're a giving church. I praise God that we're a tithing church to missionaries, a giving church out to missionaries. I praise God for that. But the early church understood that for this thing to work, they had to be fully invested. Fully invested. And they were fully sold out for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the gospel, for the church. They were selfless. I think as you look back through history, the last 50 years, you see temples that have grown all over the country and all over the world. Temples where men have built up their own kingdoms instead of going over here and starting another church or over here and starting another church and over here and starting another church. See, that's what the early church did. But I think where the church has messed up today is we have heaped ourselves riches, built up our own kingdoms, and not given as we've needed. The early church was selfless, not selfish. They had a hand open, not a hand closed. And this comes down to a matter of the heart. A matter of the heart. They loved. They were changed by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So they gave. They gave until it hurt. As I'm preaching this message, I also know that I will be tempted and tried this week in this very area. And as you hear this message, you will be tempted and tried in this week in this very area. So you better pray now that you'll be ready to give and that you'll be ready to see a need and meet it when you're confronted with it. The early church was, was selfless. The early church was loving. The early church was, was trusting. They were caring. There's a lot that we can learn. A lot that we can learn from these early believers. Amen? Hard words when we begin to talk about money. Don't touch my wallet. Don't, don't go there. But we have to because it's in Scripture. And Jesus spoke about it. So I pray that you'd examine your heart. Selfish, selfless. Which one? Which one's it going to be? I don't think it'll take you very long to, to find where you will fall at, into which one, which category. But adjust yourself accordingly. Let's pray.